The resurrection of Christ is our hope and assurance. Church, so my name is Xie Kun, and it's my honor here today and to bring God's word to you this morning. So before the sermon, I will give you a, it's not a story, it's a true thing. And one evening and in March this year, my father suddenly felt he cannot breathe. And he was, cannot sleep, and so he was sent, uh, sent into the hospital. The diagnosis, uh, he got uh, emphysema and a very serious lung infection. So he stayed in the hospital for, I think, 15 days and two weeks. So before he uh, recovered from the hospital, and the doctor strongly recommend him to quit smoking and engage in some exercise. So I, one day I called him and to, uh, I just want to know how's recovery. And my father said, oh, I'm good now and very well. And I quit smoking. And also I insisted to work outside for uh, one or two hours every day, even if it's raining. So I'm so happy for him. And so you know my father who smoked for, uh, I think, more than 40 years. So this time I'm so happy and to hear about that and he can get rid of it this time. So this May holiday, my parents came to Shanghai to visit us. And, but one day when I came home, I saw my father smoking in the kitchen. <laughs> so I was shocked. It just a month ago, he was sending into the hospital and the doctor said to him, it's very serious, especially um, his situation and also even, bad, uh, even worse when he's sleeping. And this happened again, it's very dangerous to his life. I've, my father said, oh, I feel good. I totally recovered. Now I just smoke five cigarettes a day. <laughs> it's much less than 15 <laughs> he used to. So this, so this reminds me to think about the the Asian Israelites. So the, as the evidence in the Old Testament after the passing of Joshua and his generation, the Israelites forget the God who had led them out of the Egypt. The entire period of the judges is a prime example of human forgetfulness. Despite God saving them time again, the Israelites will soon forget and turn away. Throughout the 1,500 years history of the Old Testament, have you noticed that God continually reminds the Israelites of one thing, that is the Exodus. So why was the Exodus crucial to the Israelites' lives? Because those, the covenant Israelites realized that God was the one who saved them and made the covenant with them. Therefore, the life and death of the Israelites depended 
entirely on their relationships with God, especially whether they keep the covenant with God. So this morning we will turn back to 1 Corinthians. So as we know, 1 Corinthians is a letter from Paul that addresses many individual issues in current church. In the earlier portion of the letter, Paul discussed the affections, sexual immorality, marriage issue, and also the spirit, a spirit gift. In chapter 15, Paul discussed the topic of the resurrection. He brings up this topic because the Corinthian, uh, the Corinthian church had doubt about the body resurrection of Jesus. A few weeks before, our brother Phil preached chapter 15, verse 1 to 11. In verse 1 to 11, the Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians of the gospel message he has preached to them and emphasizes the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He states that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was raised on the third day, according to the scripture. Paul then goes on the list the various people who have seen the risen king, including Peter and also 12 apostles and more than 500 believers there. Paul acknowledges that he is the least of the apostle and is not even worthy to be called an apostle. But he affirms that it is by the grace of God that he can be able to do the work of an apostle and the preaching gospel to the Corinthians. So Phil also mentioned that the most struggle of Corinthian church is pride. So our text today is the first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 to 34. So you can follow along in your Bible, or you can find the text of your bulletin printed on page 11. So in this passage, the Apostle Paul addresses a fundamental question about the resurrection of Christ, and it's important to our faith. Let's look at another problem with the Corinthian church. It's their memory, and how Paul urgently wants to remind them that they forget a very important fact, the resurrection of Christ. But let me read for you. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 to 34. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead had not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is filled, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man can death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruit, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. 
that comes at the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when they said, all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, why do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why we are in danger every hour, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up for your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on singing. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. This is God's word. So our main idea today is that the resurrection of Christ is our hope and assurance. So once again, the resurrection of Christ is our hope and assurance. So I will explain this text in three points. So point number one, the necessity of Christ's resurrection from verse 12 to verse 19. Point number two, the power of Christ's resurrection is from verse 20 to 28. Point number three, the implications of Christ's resurrection is from verse 29 to 34. Let's go to the first point, the necessity of Christ's resurrection on verse 12 to 19. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is filtered and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So here Paul expressed a sense of uh, urgency in emphasizing the importance of the resurrection of Christ. He argues that if Christ has not been raised, then the entire Christian faith is meaningless. And all the efforts of the apostle, including his own, will be in vain. So he also emphasized that the Corinthians' faith will be futile, and they will still be in their sins if Christ has not been raised. Paul's opponent in Corinth, however, were delaying the resurrection of the dead. They may have believed in the immorality of the soul, but they did not believe that the physical body could be raised from the dead. 
they will claim that there is no resurrection. So therefore, Christ could not have risen from the dead. Paul responds to their argument and defends the reality of the resurrection. So we back, go back to the, uh, the time of the hiddenized world. So many people accept the uh, ontological uh, dualism of the Greek philosopher uh, Plato. So what does that mean? It means that a person is uh, composed of two parts. One is a body and uh, another is soul. So they, they believe body is only temporary while the soul is internal. They believe that the soul is immortal while the body will one day be discarded. So moreover, only by being free from the body can the soul enjoy the freedom. So those who believe in this doctrine thought that the body was a burden. So they look forward to one day being able to discard it. Therefore, they believe that the resurrection of the dead would mean putting on the body again, which they thought was not desirable. So among them, they were legend that there was no such thing as a resurrection of the dead. That the person died, their souls go to God, where they enjoy internal happiness. They discard a part of the, their faith that were inconsistent with the philosophical idea that they had previously accepted. But Paul strongly forced argues against this point in, in verse 13 and 14 starting at if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and their faith is in vain. So brothers and sisters, there is one thing we have to remember, that is the resurrection of Christ is the cornerstone of our faith. And if it did not happen, then our faith is meaningless. So in verse 1 to verse 11, Paul gives many examples telling the Corinthians that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, based on the evidence of their own eyes and the incredible transformation of life that occurred after they saw the rise king. So we need to understand that there are two kinds of facts in this world. Uh, one is the scientific fact, which be, means that can be proved and can be verified by a scientific uh, experiment, and it also can be repeat. And another is a hysterical fact, which are the events that occurred in the past and cannot be repeated. The resurrection of Christ is the hysterical fact, and the guy is not obligated nor necessary to allow everyone else to see it in order to believe. So our reason tells us that history cannot be replayed. Although we did not see the resurrection of Jesus with our own eyes, but we believe in the testimony of the apostles and the many lives that were changed by being believing in Jesus. So this is enough to prove that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. Paul listed a long list of real names to let the people of the Corinthian church know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was true historical fact and not a fabrication of human beings. So our faith in God is based on the event of Jesus' death and resurrection, just as the faith of Israelites 
was based on the event of the Exodus from Egypt. So verse 15, Paul says, We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. So in, in this verse, it's a continuation of Paul's argument that the resurrection of Jesus is essential to the Christian faith. He's saying that if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then the apostle would be found to be false witness about God. So this is because the apostle had preached and testified that God had raised Jesus from the dead. And if that were not true, not happen, then their testimony would be false. So furthermore, if Christ has not been raised, then the apostle would also be false witness about the nature of God. The resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate demonstration of God's power and victory over death. If it did not happen, then God's power and sovereignty will be called into a question. Paul is essentially saying that if Christ did not raise from the dead, then everything that the apostles and the preached and the testified to will be false. And they will be guilty of misleading people about God. So this is why the resurrection of Jesus is so critical to the Christian faith. Without it, the entire foundation of the faith will be crumbled. Verse 16 to verse 17, Paul says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sin. Paul is saying that if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. This is because Jesus was physically dead and buried, and the resurrection refers to his physical body risen from the dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then it would mean that Jesus was not raised from the dead. So the implications of this will be overwhelming for the Christian faith. Paul says that if Christ has not been raised, then the Christian faith is futile and they are still in their sins. So this means that the entire foundation of Christian faith rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If that did not happen, then everything that Christian believes is false and meaningless. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The resurrection of Christ is the central to the Christian faith because it demonstrates God's power over death and sin. Without the resurrection, there will be no hope of eternal life for believers, and they will still under the power of sin. Then Paul continued to give two consequences in verse 18 to 19. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have been purged. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ did not raise from the dead, then believers would not be justified. And the consequence of being unjustified is hell. So therefore, brothers or sisters who have passed away would have to go to hell, which is internal suffering. God says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, 
and the God of Jacob, but without the righteousness brought by Christ's resurrection. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, as well as the murdered apostles and missionaries will still be under the power of sin, under the power of the death, and they sting the sin. Because God is holy, and God and sin are incompatible, so are the sinners and God incompatible. Sinners are God's enemies, separate from good and kind God who gives lives, and can only endure God's wrath and eternal flames after being judged by God. This is ultimate destruction. So as long as sin remains, the internal destruction remains. Therefore, if there is no resurrection of Christ, there is no accepted and affirmed base for God's redemption. The effect of sin will not be eliminated, and thus the outcome of those dead believers will be destruction. This lament is especially sad for people like Paul, who suffered extreme persecution for their faith. If Jesus Christ was not literally raised from the dead, then the physical and the emotional abuse Paul suffered was too pointless. So here again, reason and logical shine through the Christianity. If there is no life to come, it makes sense to view people who believe in it with pity. So here, brothers and sisters, now you can see how crucial the truth of the resurrection is. This is not some doctrines that you can believe if you like. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead in a resurrected body, as the Bible says, then you have no right to call yourself a Christian. This is one of the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. Once you understand the significance of resurrection, you will understand why it is said that if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now we can turn to our second point, the power of Christ's resurrection from verse 20 to 28. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man also come also the resurrection of the dead. As for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers a kingdom to God, the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all sins in subjection under his feet. But when it says, all sins are put in subjection, it is planned that he is accepted who put all sins in subjection under him. When all sins are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, who put all sins in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Here, verse 20 is a, a turning point. Paul says, Jesus is the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. This is a picture that may maybe not so clear. So think about in uh, 
Leviticus chapter 23. And in Jews were, were told that they will bring the very first part of their harvest to the priest. It was presented as an offering to the Lord, acknowledging that the full harvest belongs to him. In Jewish practice, the barley could not be brought in or sold in shop, and the bread cannot be made from the new flour until the first foods had been offered. So Paul says, Jesus is that first part of the harvest that is to come. He had to be raised before anyone else could know life beyond the grave. His resurrection opens the door of eternal life to everyone else. Then Paul takes us back to the Garden of Eden and the sin of Adam and Eve. As a result of this sin, all the creation was affected. That one sin caused even the whole creation to groan for redemption. So in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 19 to 22, Paul wrote, uh, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to the fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and abating the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been glowing together in pains of childbirth until now. So they, this maybe can explain for many of the nature disasters that we can witness. It is the result of sin. Paul makes a simple argument. Physically, death came from Adam's sin. So also physically, resurrection comes to Christ. All who are descendants of Adam will die, but all who are descendants of Christ will be brought back to life. But there is an, an order to the resurrection event. Christ has already done his part. Christ is the first food. He has already risen from the dead. Then those who belong to Christ will rise from the dead at his coming. The Apostle Paul says a mark in time for us when Christ returns, then those who belong to Christ will rise from the dead. When Christ returns, then we will be raised from the dead. And when Christ returns, then we are raised. Paul says, then comes the end. The end of all sins happens when Christ returns. Then Christ will deliver the kingdom of God, the Father, after the has destroyed every enemy and every power. In fact, Christ must continue to reign in in the kingdom until all the enemies are put under his feet. Christ reign now and will continue reign until all enemies are subject to him. Christ is on the throne and ruling over the world, conquer all the enemies. So we notice that what is the last enemy? In verse 26, death is the last enemy. Christ must reign until all the enemies are destroyed. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is in this order is death. Psalm 110, verse 1 to 2 says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemy your footstool. 
large sense, force from Zion, your mighty scepter, ruled in the midst of your enemies. We know that we will be raised from the dead because Christ has been raised from the dead, has taken his place at God's right hand. Receive the kingdom and rule over the kingdom. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Christ's resurrection shows that he has a power over death. Death will be destroyed, which means that we know that those who belong to Christ will be raised. His power over death shows we also be raised from the dead. This is, this is why he rose from the dead to set us free from the death power. As the first fruit, this power has already been revealed. Those in Christ will be raised. Now we go to our uh, third point, the implications of Christ's resurrection. It's on verse 29 to 34. Otherwise, why do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised, raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why we are in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on singing. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Here in verse 29, Paul says, they were undergoing uh, vicarious baptisms on behalf of the dead. So here Paul uh, neither condemns or nor uh, condemn such a practice about uh, the baptism, but he argues for its relevance if Christ is not raised. So in other words, those who are baptizing people on behalf of the dead contradict their own theology that denies the resurrection. All of these arguments show that the physical resurrection of Christ is a major issue. It is not only the cornerstone of our faith, it is the foundation on which we build our lives in the present. Paul mentioned his own hardships reveals in his unwavering conviction in the future resurrection of the dead. Without this belief, his efforts would have been in vain, and he wouldn't have risked his life daily. After all, everyone eventually faced death. Additionally, Paul accused the Corinthians of moral corruption due to their uh, disbelief in resurrection of the body. So as we mentioned earlier, some individuals in Corinth believe in the separation of a body and soul. Upon accepting Jesus, they gain eternal life, but they mistakenly believe it applies only to the soul. Consequently, they casually indulge in bodily desire, such as eating, drinking, and even committing adultery. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul directly condemns these actions. Such exclusionary thinking leads people to force solely on the pressure of this present time. Varying success 
of failure within its limited scope. They believe as if this few decades are the only time for enjoyment. Ironically, when people deliberate pursue happiness in this life, it includes them and remain inclusive forever. Conversely, when they abandon worldly happiness, they discover true and lasting fulfillment. As Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Consequently, it becomes clear that the resurrection of Jesus and indisputable historical fact not only explain his sacrificial death on the cross, but also direct our gaze towards a profound hope for the future. The significance of his death and the hope brought by his resurrection profoundly impact our daily life. So in our surrounding, we always hear about someone says such like, if I'm struggling today, how can I manage tomorrow? So what good tomorrow will bring to me? However, God desires a shift in our perspective instead of constantly rolling in the present. He calls us to stand in tomorrow and consider today. God intends for us to think this way. Although today may not be good and the world may not seem imperfect, nothing perfect, we await a better ending in this world. We must live with anticipation, recognizing the hope that lies ahead. This is where faith transcends reality. The resurrection not only transformed Jesus' seemingly tragic death into a perfect salvation for humanity, but it also infused our lives with the purpose of pointing towards the ultimate hope. We can trust that God will act in the same manner he did with Jesus Christ, extending it to all of us in the future. Through our faith, God grants us a glorious future that awaits us. We should conclude. Brothers and sisters and friends, the resurrection narrative tells a story with a beautiful, happy ending. The end of the redemptive history is God wins. And those who are in union with Christ will win along with him. He will renew the entire world to make it the way it is supposed to be. The resurrection is a picture of what a future will look like. Why do we have difficulty dealing with the suffering? Why do we have difficulty with death? Why do we worry about potentially lose money or career? It is difficult because we think that this broken world is the only world that we're ever going to have. We want a greater certainty than that. And Paul is trying to say that the greater certainty has already come and it has already been validated and solidified through the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have inherited this resurrection life as a gift 
a power that is already inherited by faith in Jesus, that help us look suffering and death in the eyes and see hope. Death will not ultimately have the victory, because what Jesus Christ has done. It is not possible that we could ever fail or consider we are a loser, because Jesus Christ loses everything for us, and He also gave everything for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we bow before You with grateful hearts. The words has reminds us of profound truths of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a historical fact that has transformative power and eternal significance. Lord, we thank you for the conviction and unwavering faith of Paul, who proclaimed the truth of the resurrection. We are reminded that without this resurrection, our faith will be in vain, and our lives will be like purpose and hope. Thank you, Lord, for the assurance, and that because Jesus conquered the death, and we too can have eternal life in Him. May this truth transforming us from within and compelling us to live lives that brings glory and honor to Your holy name. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.